The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return, brought to you by Narconon Suncoast. Hello, Jason. Hello, Joni. Here we are, another week down, another week for the books. Episode number 67. That's awesome. Yes. We've come such a long way, and it's interesting because, you know, I was sitting with a bunch of the executive here and uh, stuff like that, and everyone was commenting how many people seem to be reaching in as, and that are listeners of the podcast. So it's actually very, very cool because it's being noticed. Um, I like that. How many people are actually taking action after listening to an episode. So I think it's great. I think we're actually – it's doing what we want it to do, and it's getting people – to the point where they want more information, they want to see what they can do to help themselves or a loved one, and they're picking up the phone and calling. I like it. I mean, that's the whole purpose. The whole purpose of why we're doing this is to give mm-hmm. people hope and get them to call in and get the help that they need. Exactly. And, you know, the more people that keep calling, the more people that get to understand what it is that we do, um, get to understand that there is another alternative to getting clean rather than the ones that people keep trying over and over again, expecting it to work, you know, the sixth time or the seventh time or the eighth time. Um, and I think the more people that know that we're here, the more people that lives can actually be saved and someone else doesn't have to think they're a throwaway client. You know it, what I mean? Exactly. And you don't have to white knuckle your sobriety. You can actually get to the point where you were before you were on drugs in the first place. And that may not be totally realistic to a lot of addicts, but you know it's true. The people that we interview know it's true. The interview today knows it's true. It's like you can mm-hmm. get back to where you were you can, even better, you know, than where you were before you started because then you, because you can also confront the problems that you had when you started in the first place and address those so that, you know, you don't you don't have to you don't have to be unhappy and you don't have to be addicted and you can be sober. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, that's why I always tell people we don't return people to where they were before they use drugs because the spot people are in before they use drugs is relatively unhappy with something or had some unhandled things in their life that they couldn't figure out how to handle, didn't want to handle, and wanted to, you know, make it go away altogether. So we actually get them to a point better than where they were. Exactly. That's exactly point. So the point. It's, it's, a, it's a very awesome, awesome experience. Uh, and I've said this before, I feel like Narconon would be great for people that don't, aren't even drug addicts, just because what we do here can help literally anybody encountering any difficulty in their lives. Um, yep. The unfortunate thing is here at Narconon, we only do drug addicts. So. Right, right. So, so anything, uh, today we, have, we, we have a good interview today, but just anything else new or exciting at Narconon that I should know about? Are you guys... There's always new and exciting things here at Narconon. Uh, it's never a dull day. And I, I know I say that constantly <laughs> over and over again. I could probably go on and on and tell you all the stories of all the wacky stuff that happens, you know, behind the closed doors of a rehab center. But, you know, it keeps me on my toes. You know, <laughs> ordinarily, on a weekly basis, I see something or encounter something completely new that I haven't encountered or seen before in all my years uh, working in rehabilitation. And so it keeps you on your toes. definitely is interesting. And, um you know, it's, it's never boring. I can say that. And uh, <laughs> right now I'm um, taking on a huge uh, PR front and campaign. So I'm doing everything I can to make Narconon a little bit more widely known. And so that's really exciting. And we're going to keep pushing forward, getting people clean, patching people, you know, back together, making them better people and giving families or loved ones back. And so that's what uh, we're doing every day. I love Pretty it. Cool. 
I love it. Well, you started to mention, and we do, we have an interview today. We are interviewing Bobby Newman. We have interviewed him before. Um, you know him well. He's a professional interventionist. I had oh, yeah. the delight of meeting his wife um, recently. She was there at an Arcanon graduation. Beautiful lady. And yeah, he's got he's got lots of good things to tell us today. And when we're done, I'll tell you some other things that he wants to talk to us about. So let's put him on the air. Today, I am pleased to announce that we are going to be interviewing Bobby Newman again. We interviewed Bobby a few weeks ago. Bobby is a professional interventionist. He steps in when friends and family know that someone is addicted, but they don't know how to get that person to agree to go to treatment. Let's face it, if someone does not agree to go to treatment, it's not going to work for them. So Bobby has a step-by-step approach that works very well in these cases. 17 years ago, Bobby completed a long-term rehabilitation program, and since then, he's educated more than 100,000 youth on the dangers of drug abuse, and he's helped hundreds of people find rehabilitation. So now his focus is on doing interventions that turn situations from tragic to hopeful, and that, of course, is all that we are about here on the podcast. He knows that when he encounters a room full of family who have asked for help, he knows how to put cut through the emotion and confusion and establish ground rules to make the intervention success, a success. He has fabulous credentials. He is um, an internationally certified prevention specialist with the International Certification and Reciprocity Consortium. He is a certified prevention specialist with the Oklahoma Drug and Alcohol Professional Counselor Association. He is a certified substance abuse counselor in the state of Hawaii. He is also a certified intervention professional, and he's also internationally an internationally certified alcohol and drug counselor. So without further ado... Let's talk to Bobby Newman. Hey, Bobby, thank you so much for being on the podcast again. I'm really excited to have you here. It's great. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be back. I, um, you know, it's, it's always good to get the story out there. You know? Well, that's what I think. And I don't know if Jason told you or not, but um, last week we did an interview with Angela. And Angela had actually been on the receiving end of an intervention that you did. And I thought it was absolutely fascinating to hear her story because it was exactly what you told us you do. She said that, um, you know, I said, I said, what was it like? And she said that um, her husband and her kids had each written her a letter. And she said that the letter from her kids was really, really the toughest thing to have to listen to her kids saying, you know, that they wanted their mommy back. And um, I don't know if you remember that one. Do you remember that one? Oh, sure. You probably, oh, yeah. You probably yeah. remember them all, don't you? Uh, well, you know, I do. When, once the certain instances come up, and I definitely remember all their, you know, 
you know, they're all on the, you know, in my memory banks. <laughs> so, and it, it's really good to see, you know, I'm always concerned about every one of them, how they turned out and, you know, how they're doing, et cetera. So anyway. Yeah. I think, I think one of the things that makes what you do special is that even though you have a certain formula that you use, if you will, when you do your interventions, every case is different. Every person is different. The I'm sure there are similarities, but there are also differences. And I think what makes you so successful is that you have done this for so long that you pretty much know most of what can come up. You know, yeah, that's, that's true. And it's, it's almost like being able to stay at least one step ahead, sometimes two or three steps ahead of what's actually going to go on. And, you know, I even had a kid in Hawaii. I went out there and, you know, I'd met with the uh, mom and then I went over and met with the dad. And, you know, a lot of times you actually have to handle the family members individually or all at the same time. And usually they're dispersed and they have different, ideas and some people are wanting to do something and some people are at, they're basically, you know, they felt like they've tried and they, they've given up and they're frustrated. And, you know, so it's just, you got to go in there and get the core group handled and rock solid and then go and approach the attic, which is what I had to do in a very short period of time going to Hawaii. And, uh, you know, I sat down with the mom and the dad and the sister, you know, and the sisters, you know, funny enough is the sisters are always the ones that come in and, and, uh, you know, percentage wise, it's always the sisters that will kind of come in and make sure that, you know, we're going <laughs> to, we're going to do something now, you know, right. they're tired of baby brother or, or, you know, doing this to the family and they're going to make sure it happens. And, you know, some, it's usually they're pretty mad, but at the same time, they really care a lot. Right. Um, so yeah, I went in and, and, uh, you know, handle the family. And then we went in to handle the kid and, you know, and I told him, I said, this is what's going to happen. And if he says, this is, this is how we're going to respond. And this is going to, ha-, you know, and it's like, so they, we, we went in and it, even the kid, after he arrived at the, at the center, he said, it was almost like they knew what I was going to do it before knew what I was going to do or say before I did it. <laughs> <laughs> and I you said, well, I wonder how that could be. <laughs> well, it's like he would get mad. He'd leave the room. He went up to his room, and then he, I said, you know, give me a minute. This is what's going to happen. But, you know, just hang tight. And I went up there and come back. And, and um, then the second time I went up there to talk to him, I just told him, I said, you know how this is going to go. I mean, this is what's going to happen. And I said, you understand, right? And he looks at me, kind of ducks his head, and I said, so I know you want to go, so we might as well just, just pack a bag. And he goes, and he just, he just kind of shrugged at me. And I said, okay, I'm going to go tell him we're going to go pack a bag. And that's all I got. I went downstairs and uh, told the mom, I said, okay, let's go pack a bag. We got to, you know, we're going to book some flights. And they're like, what the heck? And I, and, and anyway, it was, but once he actually committed to going, we, we went and got something to eat. We talked all the way to the airport and we, it was just like two guys traveling to, you know, like it was no, we, you know, we weren't actually going to rehab. We were just two guys traveling to the mainland on, on an airplane. That was all it was about. But right. once he took that step, uh, you know, he, he was committed at that point. So getting him over that hump is the hard part. Yeah, I can imagine. Our guest today is Bobby Newman, and he 
is an intervention specialist. His website is newmaninterventions.com. And for more information on Narconon, call 877-339-3324. That's 877-339-3324. You know, I was just thinking while you were talking, have you ever had, I mean, have you ever had to do an intervention where it was kids wanting you to do an intervention on a parent? Yes. Yep. And, you know, usually it's, uh, I actually, in my own family, to be honest with you, I had a cousin while I was married to my cousin and he was a successful realtor out on the East coast. And, and my, my cousin had divorced him, but her kids, teenagers, were wanting, you know, to try to do something to help their father. And so they came to us, to, to me, to help them get their father into rehab. So my cousin stepped up to the plate and, you know, kind of took things over. And, you know, they still had a you know a good relationship. And, and uh, so, you know, they, we, we formulated the family, you know, got the family all together and, and got them some backup, basically. I call it circling the wagons with the family members so we can, you know, kind of, put things in order that, you know, to help handle any objections that the person's going to have. I mean, he had a business, he had a house he had for sale, he had certain things, you know, business thing, big dealings, and he needed somebody to step in and take care of it for him. So, you know, we actually got him to sign over a power of attorney to my cousin and which is the, his kid, you know, obviously the kid's mother right. and then um, got the, you know, got everything taken care of and got him into the facility. So. Wow. Interesting. Uh, you know, it's something I never think of is, you know, kids having to handle their parents who are addicts. But my guess is problem probably is happening more and more, especially with, you know, the the whole opioid epidemic that we're looking at. Mm-hmm. The, um, the you ep- know, go ahead. Well, that that just makes me think of one. You know, this is something I never really like to, you know, one of the things is, you know, what we try to, well, what I try to do is help the families and then, you know, and obviously help the addict too. But at the same time, the families have generally gotten themselves into a situation that they don't know what to do. And they're, they're totally, you know, feeling the brunt of everything that's going on financially, emotionally, sometimes physically. And so the idea is to put them in a position of control. And there is a certain amount of people out there, a very, very small percentage of people that truly can't be helped. Right. They just, they, you do everything that you can to help them, and then they just can't be helped. And there's been times that, you know, addicts have walked away from their kids. Wow. They've walked away from their kids. They've walked away from their family. They've wa- walked away from everything that matters. And they've, they're literally living on the streets, you know, and you try to find something that would be real to them that they would want to change about their life. Right. You know, what do you, you know, obviously, and, and it's not, you know, and it, you try and try and try and try and it just can't be done. So then the family has to take a look and go, well, all right, how, where we're going to utilize our, where's the best place to utilize our resources or we can, can continue to try to, um, continue to try to, you know, help somebody who doesn't want help. And is, you know, when you have somebody that's walked away from everything that matters to them and their children, I mean, it, it's a pretty good indication that this person may not be able to be helped. Right. And they have to look at it like, okay, um, well, you know, instead of it taking, bringing everybody down, 
we're going to focus our attention elsewhere. And, and that's really hard for families. You know, it's, it's tough to do. It's not something I don't even know if I could do it or not. Luckily, I don't have that problem. But anymore, I mean, I did have to go through this with my son, too. But, um, you know, he, he, he got on the right path and he's doing well. But, um, you know, at some point, you got to make that decision. And it's very tough. That, so. That's that's got to be tough, and but I but I can understand that there's got to come a point where, if the person truly does not want help, truly truly does not want help, in spite of everything, you got to kind of move on, and that's got to be one of the toughest mm-hmm. decisions ever to make. But as you say, yeah. there are some people out there who do not want to be helped; they cannot be helped, and. You know, hopefully that's a very, very small percentage. I'm guessing that it is because I think, you know, mostly, mostly deep down inside someone who's addicted doesn't really want to be addicted is my guess. No, no, they don't. And, you know, that is like, you you know, that's the reason, you know, if I thought that were the case for the, on the the larger part, I wouldn't be doing what I was uh, doing because the thing that is you put the family in a position to say, you know, you've done everything you possibly to help this person. Right. You know, and, and so at some point now, again, that's a very, very small, you know, minute percentage of people. But, uh, you know, because like you said, most people want help. And sometimes they will kick and scream and raise all kinds of cane getting to the facility. But once they get there and they get cleaned up and they start to feel better, they then will go, wow. You know, it's almost like a, I might have mentioned this before, but it's almost like a drowning victim. You know, a person yeah. is out there drowning, and they've got a hold of the anchor, and they're dragging the boat down. Now you can try to get them back in the boat, so the rest, of the whole family, can be saved. Or at some point, you've got to, you know, cut the chain. But you might have to kind of reach down there and kind of whack them around a little bit, you know, and then you yank them in the boat, and they go, "Oh, wow, thank you for doing that." Yeah, you know, it's not that you really want to. You, you know, that's the reality of it is, and, and, and I, I'll give you an example. I, I actually went to New York City and got a girl off the streets of New York City and had to drive her for twenty-two hours straight to the facility wow. with her parents. We were round robbing, doing a round robin on who was driving. Wow, she was in the back seat, and you know, we had the windows locked and the doors locked, and she. Now she could have. She got out to go to the bathroom and different things like that, and she walked and got into the car. But every once in a while, she would freak out. So, but I just she had warrants out for her arrest. Wow! In uh, Virginia, Virginia, and so we just said, "Look, you can go. You don't have to go." But this is what we're going to do. We're going to call the police. They're going to arrest you. We know you got drugs on you. We know you got paraphernalia on you, and you know they're going to come get you, put you in jail here, and then they're going to ship you back to Virginia and you got two different counties down there. Wow. So, and so she was raising cane at one point she was completely naked and we got her to put her clothes back on, <laughs> you know, just, just, she's just raising cane. And then she was that way for two or three days into the facility, into the program. And the doctor said that this girl did not have a week to live. Wow. If she would have stayed out there. She probably would have died. You know, she was probably, he said, I wouldn't have given her a week. And uh, she had all kinds of teeth problems. I mean, she had lies. She had, you know, she just was on the streets and it was of New York, you know, and then, but she's doing great now. She's put on weight. She's put on 25 pounds. She's actually gotten, you know, got all cleaned up, looked like a completely different person. And she's like, thank God somebody cared. Right. Right. What was she on, Bobby? 
She was on everything. I mean, yeah. heroin, uh, methamphetamine, uh, pills. Wow. It was primarily heroin. I mean, you know, and the one thing about it is, is that you obviously it brings up a something I just thought of is I knew that, you know, she, we got her in the car, we got her, you know, headed out and, and, you know, we're just going for it. And, um, I knew that sooner or later the drugs was going to wear off and she was going to have what they called being dope sick. And so that was, and that, when that started happening, she was then, it took the wind right out of her sails and she's like, please get me somewhere. Right. So we, and we, that's when we had that, it was kind of, we used it, that in our favor. And of course we're trying to help her, but you know, there's ways of people get the idea that somebody on drugs, that they, they are out of control, but they are also dependent upon drugs. They're usually dependent upon the family members. So you've got to work that in your favor. Right. They're very easy if you do it right uh, to gain control of. Right. So. Wow. What a story. 22 hours in the car. 22 hours. That's the long, the one before that was 19 hours. Oh my goodness. So, and was that another I, one that was I, on I, the I, streets or was that different? He was living in the uh, Oakland airport and, uh, living in the airport. We flew out there. He'd been out there in the Oakland airport for two days. Wow. And he was calling his friend in Denver who he, his friend was talking to the family and his friend was keeping him on the phone and telling him, I'm going to come get you. I'm going to come get you. And, uh, so, but in, in route, he was telling us, you know, that what was going on. So I showed up out there and told him that I was his friend. I was sent out there by his friend. Right. And then his dad and his cousin show up and we just kind of popped up. We just kind of, you know, we show up and, and, uh, we're going to take you back to where your friend is in Denver. And, uh, he says, well, no, he's going to pull up here and get me in a minute. And I said, no. I said, well, he sent me out here. He's not coming. I said, At, you know, ask him. And so he texted him and the guy said, no, I, I sent him out there. You need to go with him. You need to go with your dad, your cousin, and him. And he's gonna, they're going to bring you back to me. Uh, and I said, he said, okay. I said, well, all right, let's get a plane flight. Let's go. You know, we'll go in here and book a flight. And he goes, I'm not going to fly because somebody implanted something in my ear. And I've been listening to my family argue over family problems, in, uh, but they're in New Mexico. Ah, and he's in Oakland, so he's obviously you know a little bit hallucinating. You know, yeah, yeah. And so <laughs> I said, okay, we'll just walk. You know, we'll go over here and rent a car. We went over, we walked across the street and rented a van, and we off we went. We took we took off and just drove. And then we did an intervention when we got to to uh, we did an intervention once we got to Denver. Wow, cool. And so. And he, he, he didn't, he said, he said, as long as you're in the state, said, if you, I will find out who put that in your ear, if you'll just stay there. I promise I will to go to the end of the earth to find out who implanted that in your ear. Wow. Come to find out, well, he was, he was addicted, addicted to methamphetamine and come to find out he had an ear infection. Oh. So he did have a problem with his ear. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Heavy duty. So. Where have yeah. where have you been uh, geographically lately that you've been doing um, interventions? I just came back from Mexico City. Oh, okay. I literally just got back this morning. I was I went to San Francisco and got a guy, and uh, took him to a to the facility in, in in Mexico City. Oh, so, okay. Yeah. But you did the intervention in San Francisco. 
I did the intervention in San Francisco, and right before that, I was in Los Angeles. And then right before that, I was in, uh, shoot, I can't remember. Well, you, you were here because I got to meet you. Yeah, I did that. Yeah, exactly. Well, I did, you know, yeah, there was the girl in Tampa that, uh, um, that just brought in too. So okay. I, I, I've literally had to put these things down on the calendar with the location because I'm kind of, I lose track of, of, um where I've been, I literally, I was coming home last night and, and they were already texting me going, okay, we got another one for you. So. And you're like, wait a yeah. second, where am I? And where am I going? <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So you don't, you, um, it sounds to me like you do, uh, in addition to interventions, if you, you also, as part of that, you end up having to um, accompany whoever it is to treatment to make sure it happens. I'm kind of talking out loud here. I'm voicing my thoughts, but it makes sense to me. You do the intervention, you're not going to walk away. You're going to do the intervention, then actually make sure the person makes it into whatever treatment program they're going into. Oh, oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. no, I have to take them to the facility. I have to make once I they once I do the intervention, they are not left alone until they arrive to the facility. Yeah. I mean, it is you know just getting through you know logistics of traveling, making sure the bags are packed, making sure you get to the airport, making sure you got your flight scheduled and get it. If you have a layover or whatever, you've got to, you know, you've got to consider all, I mean, cause there's some like, you know, there's just so many different things that can go wrong. And, um, and you know, the family is so emotionally distraught that they don't know. I mean, they're usually just all over the place. And so you really have to be a stable person for them to go, okay, now we need to do this. Okay. Now you need to do that. Okay. And then, you know, and then sometimes, even when the person agrees to go, then the family was continuing to be dramatic about things. Yep. And you have to say, okay, let's call, let's tone it down a little bit. We've got his agreement. He's going. We need to just, you know, just, just maintain our course. And, uh, you know, so <clears throat> it's, it's very, uh, you know, and even like, for instance, I had a girl coming back from Tennessee once and, and uh, you know, and methamphetamine, it took us, um, you know, it's just, it's just, it's, getting through security is, uh, you know, and getting, doing, doing those type of things. I mean, I asked her like three times before we got to the airport, do you have anything on you? We're going to be going through security when we get to the airport. And she said, nope, nope, nope. She's all over the place. She's just all just talking about this and that. And then it dawned on her, right? As we were, she was about five feet from the security guard, or the, you know, where they were going to look at her ID and her, and her boarding pass, what was about to happen. And she did her face, the face just turned white. Yep. And luckily, I walked over to the you know the airport policeman, which would be standing there talking to her parents. And I said, "Look, I got a situation. I said, I'm trying to get this girl." He said, "I know what's going on. Her per- parents. I mean, I don't know that I actually said anything to him because I can't. But the parents had told him that. You know, uh-huh. he said, you know, I said, look, I, I got a situation here.' And he goes, "I know what's going on. Her parents have already told me." I said, "Look, she's got you know." And he said, "I tell you, he said, I tell you what." So he walked up to the girl and he said, look, I'm going to get a black bag, that black bag from your mom. And he said, I want you to put anything in there that you don't want them to find in that black bag. And I'm going to give it back to your mom. Are you okay with that? She said, yes. And so we did that. And then the TSA person knew what was, we told her what was going on. And so they did everything they could do to escort the girl through there, make sure she was okay. And then the TSA person walked her all the way back to the gate. Wow. And it was amazing because they, they, you get these guys in there. So it was amazing. But the, anyway, we had a layover in Charlotte and the girl wanted to smoke a cigarette. 
and she was literally trying to go out all the exits in the airport <laughs> where they have the by the by where the you know the gates are yeah yep. uh, and uh so emergency exits if you go out the door's going to go off and oh, she's no. going to get arrested <laughs> <laughs> so and i and I, I i kept having to pull i said look you go out that door you're going to get arrested oh if you go out that door you're going to get arrested and she would even go up to airport employees going where can i go smoke yeah, they're like, I can't. I gotta tell you that I'm not gonna lose my job over. You know? Right. And, uh, so you know, it's um, it's, I managed to keep her corralled, managed to get her to where she was going, and then we went outside the airport, and right before we got in my my car to go to the facility, and I sat down to smoke away. <laughs> there you go. There you go. So, you know, yeah. it's it's interesting that you bring that up because. Um, um, Steve and I were at Narconon uh, recently and, you know, they have drug dogs at Narconon. And I was kind of like, mm-hmm. wow, why do you need a drug dog? And Jason said it's because people will try and bring drugs into rehab. And so the dogs will locate it. And so when you talk about her having drugs in her bag, I mean, that's that's exactly, yeah, I hadn't thought with that, but it it makes total sense. I mean, they're not, you know, okay, they've mm. agreed to go into rehab, but they haven't necessarily given up the drugs yet. Right. Right, exactly. They're still holding on, you know. Yeah. Um, so it's, they, yeah, I, you know, there's a, there's actually things that, you know, as far as a person. You know, I'll even say, look, this is, you know, I had a guy that, you know, I'd went and got from Oakland and, you know, he was addicted to alcohol and, you know, the anxiety just goes to the roof with, you know, alcohol, you know, people addicted to alcohol. And and so, you know, they start thinking about not drinking and amplifies it. Then they stop, it was actually stopped and the withdrawal symptoms start kicking in. And, you know, and I'll just say, look, you know, if you need to get something on the way when we get to the airport, when we get on the plane, you know, to calm your nerves and you can definitely do that. I said, I don't want you to be, you know, feeling, you know, terrible. Uh, you know, I want you to, you know, I don't want you to feel anxious right now. Let's just, you know, let's get there. Let's do this. And then you can get to there. And then they'll go, Oh, thank you. So it's just that, that, um, you know, it, but giving them a little bit. So you, you understand that they are so dependent upon the chemical that, you know, they, they're giving it away. is just, you know, like jumping off a cliff. So right. you give them that one last, and it's not necessarily something you could promote. I mean, to be honest with you, it's, it's a judgment call, and you know, people have to be very careful because, you know, but you give the person a little bit, and they go, okay, I could do this, and and um, and then they'll, they'll, they're more agreeable to go because, they, like you said earlier, they, they really do want help. I mean, they sometimes even like, you know, Angela – you know, she did. She told me I didn't know I felt as bad as I did. Right. right. Until I started feeling good again, and so they, you know, I, I didn't realize how bad it was. But at the same time, I, w- I knew I wasn't happy. Right. And that's the way these guys are, and so they need, they really need a push. Well, but the other or thing, a pool. yeah, but the <laughs> other thing too with alcohol, Bobby. I mean, you make a very good point, but coming off of alcohol is is life threatening. Like the the sure. the um the residual effects of alcohol, and oftentimes Narconon has to send someone who's addicted to alcohol to a medical facility so that they can be stepped down with the use of other medications. And so, you know, it makes total sense to me. You don't want someone on the plane with you who all of a sudden goes into DTs and has a seizure. <laughs> you know, that I, right. don't, I don't think that, that would be a good thing. Yeah. So if it's a choice between that 
or having one drink, I, I'm sorry, I think you made the right judgment call. That's what that's what I think you would need to do at that point. You're not, they're not in well, the facility, they're not getting the treatment, they're on their way, and you have to at least get them there. Right, right. And well, you know, too, is like, I, I had a guy, you know, the one guy in Oakland, I told him I stepped outside, and you could tell, you could just see the wheels turning in his head. And I, I just stepped there and I, I told him, I said, look, dude, I said, I know you want to go. I said, I know you want this. I said, so we, we need to make a stop before we get to the airport so you can, you know, yep. feel right about things. Yep. And he looks at me and I just said that because I just, he, goes, he looks at me and his eyes kind of got wide and he says, you and I are going to be friends. Yep. <laughs> Yep. And Jason, and Jay, yeah, Jason yeah. told one of those too, where he was driving up from South Florida and they made a stop, uh-huh. you know, and, yeah. and it's not, I don't yeah. think it's out of the question. You're not asking someone to go into immediate withdrawal without any support. I mean, you know, I mean, like, you know, you, I know you deal with different rehabs, but you know that at Narcanon, they don't just come off cold turkey with nothing. I mean, they have vitamins, they have calcium, magnesium. I mean, there's a lot of things that have to happen. You don't want, you don't, you're not expecting someone to go through that cold turkey. So it makes total sense to me that if it's, if it's going to be a really long journey to get to rehab, yep, you know, they, they may need that final hit. Right, exactly. Yep. Yep. You know, and you, you bring up a good point, too, is I actually had a kid. Uh, come in to to Narconine from um, and he was addicted to Opana. What's and that? His big, it's a it's a narc, it's a opiate. It's actually a very pretty, very addictive opiate. Huh. Um, and his it, you know he was like I just can't do cold turkey. I'm gonna have. I said well, you know it is a drug free facility. I said but you know they're not gonna if you need a a medical detox before you start the drug-free program, they're going to help you with that. Right. And uh, he's like, okay. I said, so, so he, he said, okay, I'll go. I said, you don't want to be taking anything anyway. Don't he's, he said, I, you don't want to be on Suboxone or methadone. And he, uh, he said, no, I don't. I said, okay. So, you know, this is a, we're, we're going to work with you to make this, you know, but then as I was going, we were on our way to the facility and I got as a, you know, I started telling him about the, the, what, drugs actually do what vitamins and stuff that they actually burn up i mean that they burn up calcium and magnesium and b1 and just a series of other things that cause the withdrawal symptoms if you were to take someone that didn't hadn't used drugs and, and rob them of those vitamins that they would have the same symptoms right or very similar symptoms right and he says i said it's hard for you know to believe but if you'll actually consider Again, you're going to get a medical checkup, so the doctor's going to determine what you know. But if you, if the doctor says, you know what, you you know, you could probably get by without a medical detox, you're going to be better without it. And he, I said, because you're actually, you know, you're going to go into withdrawal after you finish the medical detox. You're right. still going to go into withdrawal. You're still right. going to feel bad. Right. So you're going to you're making something last ten days or more versus something that could probably be over in you know five to seven days. Right. And I said, so if you could do it, you know, without the medical detox, you know, he he was a young man, you know, 22 years old and, you know, he looked in good health. Of course, you know, I'm not, I wasn't physically checking him out or anything, but I've done this, you know, thousands of times. And, and, um, and he actually told me, I saw him later and he said, you know, I never would have believed it, but I, you know, on the fifth day and when I, I actually just woke up and it was like all my withdrawal symptoms were gone and I immediately started feeling better. Wow. 
and uh so you know that's that's the, the so anyway I, I and i tell them i said you know there's no way to convince somebody addicted to opiates that that actually occurs but it does right all the time right right well bobby thank you for being with us again i think i've kept you long enough i know there are people who need you more than i need you on the podcast although i really really appreciate you talking to us and for anybody listening if you have a loved one and either you don't know how to intervene or you've tried it and it hasn't worked. Bobby Newman is a professional interventionist. And if you go to newmaninterventions.com, and that's Newman like Paul Newman, newmaninterventions.com, you can reach out to Bobby and he can help. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. And uh, hopefully, you know, I'm, I'm sure, well, I, not hopefully, I know that we've been of help to someone out there, answered their questions or offered them some hope or guidance of some sort. And, and definitely, if they need it, please give me a call. Absolutely. And you keep fighting the good fight, Bobby. I appreciate you being with us, and we will have you back. Thank you very much. Thanks, Bobby. What'd you think? I thought it was great. You know, I think it was great to hear Bobby's perspective on, you know, what happens during interventions and the realities associated with it. And, you know, the fact of the matter is not everyone is really excited right off the rip to go to treatment. You know, I said a thousand times, you know, when you, when you bring someone to treatment or you offer rehabilitation, in essence, you're threatening to take someone's security blanket away. You're threatening to take away the very thing they used to deal with life. And so sometimes, you know, calling in the big guns, I call Bobby, you know, it's necessary to get someone willing to make like a logical choice and to make a logical like pro survival decision for once in their lives and actually move forward, do something to handle their condition life and actually give them a chance, you know, to break free from, you know, the trap of addiction. Right. I agree. And, uh, you know, we use Bobby a lot here, uh, for our interventions, we use him and he's, you know, very, very successful at getting people arrived safely into treatment and, uh, you know, on the road to recovery. So, you know, we are forever grateful for him and his help in, you know, fighting the scourge of addiction, just like all of us are. Right. Well, I also, I had asked him before we actually recorded the interview to tell us different stories. And I thought he told a bunch of really good stories because, you know, I, I wonder sometimes if people listen to the podcast and they think, well, you know, that's all well and good for Angela, or that's all well and good for Derek, but that's not my story. And that doesn't apply to me. And so I think the more mm -hmm. we can give different scenarios, the more people can understand that, you know, while addiction is addiction, everybody does have their own story. But, you know, Narconon is pretty well equipped to handle anybody that wants help. So absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, I encourage everyone listening, give us a call. We're here to help. Um, I can personally answer any of your questions, and I'll hopefully get you or your loved one moving in the right direction. And that's all, all any of us want. Exactly. And I told Bobby that we would have him back. He has written a book, and uh, once he gets his book published, I thought it would be interesting um, to talk to him about it. Of course, it's it's all about um, life after rehab. And um, actually, right. that's not his book. That's somebody else's book. His is Secrets to Successful Recovery. And um, oh. yeah, I'll be interested in looking at his book and talking to him about that. Absolutely. So with that, I think we should sign off and we will okay. talk again next week. Until next week, and we'll talk to you then. Okay. Okay. 
You have been listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information, call 877-339-3324 or visit www.narcononsuncoast.org. Narconon is a non-12-step rehabilitation program based on the works of L. Ron Hubbard. 